Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Hello, and thank you for taking time to join us for episode two of our series where healthcare and legal meet. I am Dr. Candice Pierce with Calibri Healthcare, and back with me are Dr. Margaret Carno and Dr. James Stowe. In this first episode, we discuss what negligence means from a criminal and civil perspective and the acknowledgement of our errors. In this episode, we're going to be taking a deeper look into culture and how it affects healthcare. We ended episode one discussing acknowledgement of mistakes. It takes a lot of trust to admit a mistake, to complete that incident report you know is going to be seen by your leadership, even at the departmental level. Why is culture so important in healthcare, and how does it affect the quality of care that we provide? Well, the culture really is the one of the first answers to solving the problem, I believe. Because we can utilize a incident or event report system all day long and never report my own mistake, right? I can enter things all day long if I'm upset with another department, upset with another person, and never admit my own mistake. So until the culture is changed, and from a hospital system, it's going to be, did we have enough staff to review incident report? Did we provide an opportunity to have roundtables? Did we have an opportunity to come in and bring different uh, players to the table, meaning different people from different departments and solve an issue? And here we are on the back of COVID, um, some very difficult financial times. And the way to solve this problem is, you know what? You need a couple of more resources. So how do you manage that today in light of everything that's going on uh, and not just leave it up to ED leadership? And I say ED because that's where I am. Um, but leadership within a hospital system uh, from on a department level when, quite frankly, they're, ta- they're, they're, they're taxed out. They're, they're maxed out on what they're doing. So uh, how do you make that move? Um, really, it's a hospital system. It has to be a hospital system focused or an individual hospital focused, and the resources have to be dedicated in order to make it a priority. Absolutely. And I hear just culture. I hear that term thrown around a lot, which really just means a culture of fairness. So how do you get just culture? How do you bring that into your department, into your organization, into your system? I think that, um, and I can speak from the healthcare professional, and James can speak from the administrative, knowing that I am supported as a nurse, that my mistakes, um, it won't be punitive. I mean, uh, uh, as I said, unless it's a huge disregard for um, hospital policy. But knowing that the whole hospital system, from my um, immediate leadership all the way up to the CEO, really supports the healthcare professionals getting as best as possible 
the needs of the healthcare professionals to provide the best care we can. And I think also with the just culture is the idea of continuous quality improvement so that issues and concerns can be remedied. We can fix this issue or concern. Um, and that, you know, as I said, and uh, James brought it out, the actual healthcare professional needs to feel supported. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. You know, this culture of fairness, um, really and truly to start establishing it, your frontline staff uh, need to see some action. And, and a lot of times that's easier said than done. You know, I, I don't sit here with all the answers on how to do it. But if I know that issues are being resolved or being worked on at the very least, uh, I'm much more likely to participate. And so don't leave it to one area or one or two departments to battle it out. Um, because at the end of the day, you don't really get anywhere with that. you got to have a, a, a hospital-wide or a system-wide approach that, uh, you know, if you're in a system and you, you discover something, did you share it with the other systems, the other hospitals within that system? Maybe your other outpatient facility, you know, associated with it. What is your dissemination of what you learn look like? So um, to start implementing it uh, and to get that buy-in, it's definitely not an overnight thing. It is not a uh, flip a switch and we're going to have this and we're going to have it in place and it's going to be successful. It is a work. It uh, is arduous. Uh, not always a whole lot of fun, but as you get things going and you see successes, then you really start to go, okay, this is good. I have an issue that I have been encountering for six months or a year. I've just never said anything because we all deal with the same issue. Let me bring it to the table. And so you start to get those things that come forward. And that's when you truly start to prevent error. Now, within the, the regard to just culture, I've seen a lot of physicians and a lot of nurses specifically who are a bit worried about the outcome of this trial, the verdict that was given. It strikes a lot of fear into the healthcare professionals and losing their license that they've worked so hard to, to earn. So is just culture going to be realistic? Is this something that, is it going to be damaged by this verdict? Um, from my perspective of, you know, reading the trial, um, reading the history, is that there were a lot of other errors and not open communication. Um, I'm not trying to... To put anybody under the bus, but there were a lot, there's a lot of pieces to this trial and to what happened right after the incident and what did not happen. And I think that that is really important for healthcare professionals to remember and to realize because there's a systems responsibility also. Um, and that um, has to be taken into account. 
So we know that this error was not purposeful. Uh, we know it was brought to a criminal court. What repercussions do you think we're going to see in healthcare? Is there going to be that anticipated downhill effect in healthcare? I know in my own institution, the day the verdict came down, we received an email from the CEO of our um, healthcare system stating that our hospital system believes in a just culture, believes in these errors, will support the healthcare professionals that are making incident reports and to remember that there was a lot of other details of the trial and really support it. And it came from literally our, our CEO, our chief executive nursing officer, our chief of quality and safety. So it came from a number of people at very high levels. And there's were repeated emails for about a month. James, I don't know if you want to speak to it from a, a leadership perspective. You know, it's really hard to answer that question in light of everything that's going on in healthcare today. And I don't know if that's a cop-out. I think people could could use that answer at any time in history in healthcare. But if you take a look at, there's a national nursing shortage. We're in the middle of a, a pandemic. Um, hospital expenses are going up. Patients are staying in the hospital longer due to certain diseases, uh, COVID being one. So revenue is going down. It's making it more difficult to manage hospitals and hospital systems. Uh, the federal government has not uh, awarded any relief here recently pursuant to COVID. So you have all of these factors coming into play and that's affecting your workforce, affecting the current uh, situations and management. And so it's very difficult to answer. Um, I will tell you that um, I, what I'll say is uh, future nurses first versus current nurses. Future nurses, I've been on the recruiting trail. Um, and most of the future nurses that are in school now, they're aware of the case, but they're not dropping out of school just because of that case. Okay. You don't hear it in the news advertised, you know, being it's not very prolific out there unless you look for it. So I'm not sure from a nursing standpoint, is it going to drive away future potential nurses? I don't know that. I don't, I don't have that answer yet. I, I lean towards no right now. What I can tell you is that from a uh, being a leader in an de emergency department where time is of the essence quite often, um, it has had an impact. This verdict has uh, slowed down care. Nurses who normally had a practice of just running and, and going and doing and, and uh, doing certain things, now we'll wait for the physician to put a medication order in. We'll now wait 
after the physician puts the order in, wait for pharmacy to approve it and flip it over to the MAR before giving that medication. Now, it, it's pharmacy, you know, let's say they staff five pharmacists through the day just to approve those medications and one called in sick. So what is the delay there now uh, before we get our emergent medicines to our, our patients? So I could tell you there is a frontline delay while we are seeing more and more patients coming into emergency departments uh, because fewer are getting primary care, preventative care. And so as that number rises and as our approach to patient care goes down, has to slow down, uh, it doesn't, it's not difficult to see down the road there's going to be issues with waiting uh, patients getting worse before they're seen. So from active staff, it definitely is impactful. Uh, future staff, future students, uh, they, they quote unquote haven't been in the real world yet. So I, I don't uh, think it's as impactful for them. Jake, from that director perspective, you're talking about delay in patient care, which I think it's great that, I mean, we're probably getting back to the way we always should have done it, back to those double checks, those triple checks to make sure what we're doing is correct. So my question, though, is more along the lines of that frontline delay, the, the decrease in customer satisfaction and how quick it is for them to get, say, their pain medicine or for the physician to come in and do a procedure. So how is that going to affect those HCAP scores and some of those different scoring mechanisms that are used or matri matrixes rather that affect, say, hospital pay? It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. And uh, it's going to be difficult to weed that out and actually put a number to that and say that, hey, this is the cause. But you're from an ED perspective, you're going to see higher wait times. Uh, you know, patient satisfaction. We have all these uh, very in-depth research that's done. For, but from an ED, I can tell you uh, it is directly correlated to how long you got to wait uh, to be seen by a physician. We can, we can add all these other things in there. Um, but if you put yourself in line at Walmart, how long or which line do you go to? You go to the self-checkout where you can get in and get out, or do you go behind the, the line to be checked out when there's nine people in front? Of you? No one likes to wait. It's human nature. No one likes to wait. So it's the same thing in the ED. You'll have more left without being seen, meaning they left, they didn't get care there. So what does that mean for a hospital system as far as their liability? Uh, HCAPs, uh, patient satisfaction is going to go down. Um, it is... It, it, there's there's just negative effects uh, all around. You know, you look at it now and we look at there's a national nursing shortage. Well, there's a national uh, EMS, uh, EMT paramedic shortage when you look across the country. If it takes me longer to see patients within the department, my EMS crews are going to have to sit on the wall longer, which means they're not back out in the field answering your, your mine, our family's 911 call. So this problem uh, or this occurrence has affected so many things, even back out into our own homes that people don't realize. There's just a very, very impactful nature of this verdict that uh, is very far reaching. And I want to touch on, too, you're talking about some shortages. You know, what about those OBs and pediatricians that we have? 
national shortages on as well. And don't they have a, um, I don't know the official word for it, but I know, for example, for children, for OBs, uh, they can be sued up until the child is 18. Is that true? Is that a, is that something they need to be worried about? Um, you know, Derek? it's really interesting for, for what uh, OBs and pediatricians uh, earn as income. They pay an unbelievable amount in insurance premiums. If, if folks actually knew how much they paid, um, I think they would be shocked and they, they wouldn't be so upset about paying uh, off as copay. Uh, they really put themselves on the line. Um, and you got to think there's a reason for, for this shortage. And so um, it really is going to the, the, the problem with both or any line of medical field. Uh, or medical specialty when there's a shortage is the demands on that individual's time goes up. The demands for what they need to do go up. So the more things you do in a shorter amount of time, there is a higher probability of error, which means in our short sta staffing state uh, across the country, now is the time that we need to adjust culture to address these issues that are coming up that may not have come up five years ago, 10 years ago, when we weren't under such a shortage of staffing. Because uh, these are all new issues, new concerns. So now more than ever, while we have shortages, it's more imperative to actually institute a just culture to address it. And um, I will agree with James. As I said, my background's in pediatrics. For years, I did pediatric critical care. And now I'm in a subspecialty and my peers, my uh, physician colleagues have paid um, more money. And I know as a nurse, my malpractice insurance and as an NP, my malpractice insurance is higher. I think the more concerning is OB, the number of nurse practitioners, physicians, midwives that are no longer actually doing deliveries is very impactful. And, you know, given the shortages we have now post-COVID, or really I don't think we're post-COVID, but it, it has been quite um, difficult, as James has said. Absolutely. And one of the things that you were hitting on, um, Jay, was about the multiple tasks that are being placed on the shoulders of, of healthcare professionals now. And I really want to take this back to nurses for a minute because it seems as though nurses are the only, we're the only healthcare profession in clinical practice where we are given multiple tasks that many times cross over to what other professions typically do. For example, uh, respiratory therapy is not available. Well, who's going to give the breathing treatment? It's going to be the nurse, right? If physical therapy is not available or housekeeping is not available, typically you're going to see the nurse performing those functions on top of all the other roles and tasks that we are to do as a nurse. So how do we expect nurses to meet all these extra expectations and complete these tasks error-free? That's a great question. And it's one that I have battled with. Uh, for a long time. And uh, we mentioned the, the shortage of nursing. Uh, but the truth is, there's a shortage in all workforce. 
there's a shortage in trying to get uh, patient care techs or support techs to assist nurses. You know, uh, you got to remember what's happened in the economy. People have left the workforce. A lot of frontline workers uh, left for quite a long time. So recruiting them back in is very difficult uh, because this is a difficult line of work. Uh, you mentioned some of the areas that, that, you, that you work on. And I thought about this recently and from an emergency department perspective. You know, my nurses are uh, expected to turn the rooms over. So they do the EBS job. They are expected, uh, the nurses are text to uh, ensure, uh, distribute meals, ensure everyone's fed for dietary position. Uh, you mentioned respiratory therapy with breathing treatments, what have you, stat meds, making drips. If pharmacy it, uh, hasn't gotten to it in time or isn't fast enough, it's emergent, we make our own. Um, you look at finding certain placement for certain patients. Uh, case management has to step, you know, you take in into a case management or social worker function. Um, as you evaluate patients, a lot of times we enter protocols uh, to get workup started. Uh, that is a physician or a provider uh, responsibility uh, that we have allowed nursing to do to expedite care. Also drawing labs and doing those things, we, we do the role of phlebotomy. So, you know, you do all of these things, and quite frankly, a nurse wears so many hats that if you were to break down a, any given day uh, for a nurse, um, you know, and, and I will I'll pick on a med surge nurse because it's an area that uh, I openly acknowledge I can't work in. I'm not fast enough uh, to work there. I think it's the hardest department in a hospital. If you had six patients, you did an assessment on all six of them. 30 minutes, do an assessment, get it in the computer. That's three hours of your day. You've been tasked to discharge three of them. That's 30 minutes or more for each of those three. You've been tasked, you've gotten three new patients. You've got to do an admission there. You got to do an assessment there. It's an hour plus for each one. Um, you start, you do a good med pass in the morning for all of your patients. By the time you start adding these hours up in the day, one, your staff hasn't had a chance to take a lunch. They haven't had a chance to use a restroom. And then they run out of time. So what gives? Is it the call light that doesn't get answered? Is that why we're seeing so many more complaints now? Um, so we're passing all of these functions down to the bedside because, hey, it's the easiest thing to do because they're with the patients, supposedly, all day long. So we've got to figure out how to, I kind of alluded to it previously, uh, how do we take some of these hats off that create the time for nurses to focus on their patient care and allow them to prevent some of these errors? you got to give them time to prevent the errors that are happening. And so if we don't give them time from a frontline staff, don't give the frontline staff time to do their job. Errors occur. What kind of message does it send when we're going to go in and discipline them for not having time to do uh, their job and errors occur? So that's really, if you look at just culture, you learn from those errors and you put in processes to change those um, so that you kind of prevent the uh, punishment and the retribution for some of those actions. 
which can all kind of be tied together. It's all a, all a circle. So it's a very, very difficult concept. Um, and nurses, quite frankly, are at the bedside and they're assigned patients. And they keep getting more and more hats to wear with no more time in the day. The other thing, too, that is we haven't started seeing it in the hospital setting. <clears throat> but given the shortages, I think we will be soon is that nurses are going to have to prioritize. If they need to give a respiratory therapy treatment, so they need to give a respiratory treatment versus walking a patient, well, that respiratory treatment is going to come first. That's Absolutely. Just, and then so we are going to start seeing increase in bed sores, increase in pneumococcal infections, or, you know, hospital-acquired infections because people are cutting corners because they are so stressed and so overburdened that we're going to start seeing an increase in those things that are not recoverable from a financial perspective for the hospitals. And something is going to need to be done because eventually the, the system may just fall apart. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point that you brought up too, about having to choose those priorities and what we prioritize, which would be your respiratory treatment, might not be what your higher leadership that doesn't really understand what's going on at the bedside would prioritize because what they see is, well, now we have a uh, injury to the patient um, because they have been in the laying on the bed or in their same position for a little bit too long. And that takes money away from the facility. So absolutely, that's a great point. We will talk more about these unintended consequences that may be seen in quality of care in episode three, as that's unfortunately all the time we have for episode two. In this episode, we really focus the discussion on how culture impacts a work environment and the overall quality of care patients receive. Please join us for episode three, where we will continue our discussion of medication dosage assessment, and medication administration from the perspective of responsibility and accountability. This is Candace Pierce with Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.